Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I'm your guide, Derek Hayes. Welcome back, and I trust that you had a wonderful holiday season and an excellent new year. I have a great show lined up for you guys this evening, one filled with an array of different spooky and terrifying themes. And to be quite honest, there's a lot to get through, so I'm going to cut with the yapping and start with the playing. Tonight's first call comes to us from my state, the state of California. The following is Nikki's call. Hi, my name is Nikki. I love the show, and I'm just going to get right into it. Uh, so I live in a small town in Southern California called Yukaipa, and in 2014, uh, it must have been around maybe October, so it was a little bit chilly, a group of friends and I were out ghost hunting, which I totally didn't take seriously because I didn't believe in anything like that. Um, So when nightfall came, I drove a friend and I to her house, and we would usually just sit in her driveway and talk for a bit before she got out and went home. I never really liked her driveway. It was always dark and gave me kind of like weird feelings and vibes and sometimes we would hear things knock on my car uh, but I just always assumed that was the engine cooling down or something along those lines. I don't know. I'm not really great with cars. So um, this night we were talking for a bit and suddenly like this feeling came over me and I just began crying. I'm not usually an emotional person. We weren't talking about anything emotional or anything so this was kind of odd to the both of us. And then suddenly she jumped out of her seat and screamed, Oh my God, what the F was that? And suddenly, not even a second later, something also hit me in the chest, like right above my heart. And I got like these weird electrical tingles that ran like from where I was hit down my body and up it as well. Uh, It felt very, very evil. Like both of us felt the same thing. And we got like this just, disgusted feeling that we couldn't describe. Uh, So that was kind of weird. But a few weeks later, I got a new car uh, that had a backup camera. My boyfriend and I dropped her off at her house, and we both went in for just like a couple seconds. Like we just had to go to the bathroom or something like that. And when we got back to the car, um, my boyfriend on the way to the car kind of stopped for a second and then kept walking. And I was like, oh, must have tripped or something. Um... But yeah, so we got back into the car and everything inside of me was telling to not look into the backup camera for some reason, so I just didn't. 
Uh, and a few miles later, my boyfriend actually said that he saw someone or something crouching behind the car and looking at us. He described it as like a shadow person. He knew what the story was, but he didn't know where it had taken place. Um, but he said that the driveway had also always given him the creeps, which is why he wanted to go inside as well. Uh, anyway, that's my story, and thank you for the great podcast. And thank you, Nikki. Now, I think I have an idea of what might be happening here. I challenge you to go back to the location and have a look around. See if you see any high-voltage power lines or maybe an LED billboard or some huge output of electricity. Because what it sounds like is happening here is some sort of exposure to electromagnetic fields, or EMFs. Now, the symptoms of EMF exposure aren't limited to but include sleep disturbances such as insomnia or sleep paralysis even, headaches, depression, uh, tiredness and fatigue, uh, change in emotion or attitude, sometimes a painful or itchy sensation on the skin, lack of concentration, dizziness, and even changes in memory. Now, some of these fields can be incredibly strong and have terrifying effects on the human body. Just a cell phone alone emits enough uh, EMF to cause some serious issues, prolonged exposure. So that's something that may be taking place here, and there's certainly a history of EMFs being mistaken for paranormal activity or hauntings. So this wouldn't be the first or last time that something as common as EMFs have triggered some sort of hysteria, so to speak. Now, of course, I'm not saying that's exactly what's happening, but it certainly sounds like that could be the culprit in this particular situation, especially since it seems to happen in the same driveway. At the very least, it's certainly something to look into. So thank you again, Nikki, for taking the time to share that call. Moving right along, our next call comes to us from an anonymous source. Hi, Derek. Love the podcast. I was just listening to, I'm not even, the latest season episode, um, talking where they were telling the story about having a mysterious force push them out of the way. I had just got my license. It's about time that Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift had come out, and I had gone and seen that movie. So I was driving home. I live in Amboy, Washington, which is about 50 miles north of Portland, Oregon. All country, windy roads. Came around by the high, by the middle school, and the speed limit goes from 25 to 50. So I was picking up speed, and a doe and two fawn jumped in front of me. And I just remember slamming on the brakes and turning the wheel, and the truck was still going towards the deer. And all of a sudden, it felt as though the truck had been hit by a deer something. I can't explain it. It just felt like the truck was shoved, and I wound up in a ditch. I 100% believe it may have been... It could have been I let go of the brakes, and the tires caught and shoved it. It had been raining that night, so who knows? But it's not... I've felt brakes unlock... Your tires lock up turning and let off and then start spinning and it wasn't like this. It was like something shoved the front of that truck. Um, so, love the podcast. Keep it up. Uh, thank you. Thank you, caller. Now, this reminds me of a funny story that's not paranormal, but it was downright terrifying. Uh, this took place back in, I want to say, August of 2016. I just purchased the cabin up here in Lake Arrowhead. And I was commuting back and forth from L.A. Uh, basically every weekend doing remodeling and trying to get the place ready for us to actually move into. 
And I believe Sarah was visiting family back in Ohio or something, so she wasn't around for this particular weekend. But I came up, uh, even brought the cats up with me because I didn't want to leave them home alone. Um, so anyway, I worked here all weekend. And toward the end of the night, I, I didn't feel very well. So I thought, well, I'm going to go home, sleep in my own bed, and, and be comfortable. So at about 7 or 8 in the evening, as the sun was setting, I made my way uh, down the mountain. And as I was going, suddenly I felt a huge uh, impact on the side of my vehicle. And it kind of lurched sideways. And I honestly thought I was hit by another car. That's how strong the force was. So I immediately pulled over, and that's when I realized that I was a victim of a rock slide. What had happened is a handful of softball-sized rocks tumbled down the mountain and directly into the road just as I was passing by, smashing the back end of my vehicle. The rocks were fairly small, but the speed of my vehicle, combined with the speed of the rocks falling off the mountain, uh, caused an impact that was just (laughs) insane. Luckily, the damage was somewhat minimal, considering how loud and how hard the impact hit. Uh, So I'm not suggesting that that's what this caller experienced by any means, uh, but it reminded me of that story. Uh, So thank you again, caller, for taking the time to share. Our next call of the evening takes us to the state of Utah. The following is Jessica's story. Hi, Derek. To begin with, I've only ever told this story to people who practice the same things as me, because I don't expect in a million years for anyone else to believe me. I don't expect you or anyone listening to either. But I know that this, whatever this is, happened, and I will remember it until the day I die. It's just as bizarre to me as anyone else. I originally wanted to call in and tell it in person, but I get very emotional because of how it scared me, so I thought it would be best to be written. A little background information on me. In 2016, I was introduced to an energy healer who helped me realize that I am empathic and who influenced my life so positively that I began to practice energy work myself along with Wicca. Now I'll be honest, when I first started I had no idea what I was doing. I was aware of psychic attacks and I certainly had no idea how to block them. The most surreal, horrifying experience came a year ago when I was alone in my apartment. I was doing a tarot reading for myself and practicing opening up my energy field. But not closing it because I didn't know how. I remember about halfway through my session, I became so drained that I could barely keep my eyes open, so I lay down for a nap. I'm not sure how long I slept, but I awoke very suddenly with absolute urgency to close and lock a non-existent door in my living room, which I now believe was my brain telling me to shut off the energy I had left open. I was panicking, sweating, and shaking, and in the best way I can describe, I felt displaced from myself, as if I was looking at my body from a third person. I felt like my consciousness was floating a foot behind and about 60 degrees above my body, to be very exact. It was the strangest feeling I had ever had. What happened next, I have no idea. I blacked out and cannot remember a thing. I've never sleepwalked, as my husband and family have assured me. I've never fainted, and I couldn't explain this whatsoever. The next thing I remember, I was not necessarily waking up, but becoming aware of being curled up in a fetal position in bed looking at a massive shadow looming over me. To reiterate, it was about four in the afternoon, with sunshine peeping through the blinds. This was not a light trick. This entity was standing about two feet from my face, literally bending over me. It was covered in this dark gray cloak with just a vertical slit in its hood for a face. 
It was about seven feet tall and unnaturally slender. I've never felt so much dread and terror in my life. I felt like my soul was being tortured, violated, and destroyed. I was so empty I didn't feel human. I don't know if I blacked out again, fainted, or what, but next thing I know I woke up, this time being around 5.30. The entity was no longer visible, but I knew it was in the corner of the room watching me. I jumped out of bed, ran to my phone, and called my husband and told him to come home from work. After I hung up, I suddenly became livid. I've never been angrier, or more defensive in my life. I guess I realized that this thing was invading my home and I wasn't going to stand for it. This is the strangest part, and I ask myself all the time how I can even tell this story and think of myself as totally sane. I went back to my bedroom and at the foot of my bed was a black panther, crouched and growling at me. It was beautiful, honestly, but its eyes were so terrible. They were blood red, I knew it was a demonic force that needed to go. For some reason, I was no longer afraid, just angry. I was seeing red at this point. With every bit of strength in my body, I roared at this thing. You will leave my house and you will never come back. Go back to hell where you belong. I remember very distinctly that he flicked his tail and licked his lips, and then it was gone. The energy in my house was back to normal. This experience made me very, very aware of the reality of demonic entities. It also made me appreciate my practice and taught me only to use white, positive energies. Since then, I have had other experiences, but none demonic. I enjoy my practice and it brings me a lot of hope to life. Anyway, I absolutely adore your podcast. I've been listening for only a week and it makes me feel a lot less alienated, knowing that there are other believers out there. I have a plethora of other experiences to share pertaining to ghosts throughout my childhood and current practice, and even a skinwalker story. Thanks for reading, Jessica. Thank you, Jessica. Now, your story could be explained using the sleep paralysis theory. Now, that said, it seems like you did an awful lot of walking around in that house, especially when you came in contact with the panther. Uh, Either way, the experience sounds terrifying, and I'm happy to hear that that was the last time that something like that took place. And before I move on to the next call, I will say I cannot wait to hear your skinwalker encounter. Uh, Thanks again, Jessica, for taking the time. We truly appreciate it. Now our next entry for the evening takes us to the skies and to the southern hemisphere. The following is Robert's call from Belize. Hi, Derek. My name is Robert. I am one of your new listeners. I've been binge listening your show for the past four weeks ever since I caught your guest spot on my other favorite podcast, Blurry Photos. Shout out. My ex-wife and I had an interesting encounter with a unique kind of UFO in Portland, Oregon. I'm calling to tell you about that. My first disclaimer is that I'm not a skeptic. (laughs) I'm uh, uh, an entertainer of all possibilities, let's say. (laughs) And my second disclaimer is that we were not sober. So... There you go. It was late August 2016, around 8 p.m. Dusk time, the end of a summer day, warm summer day. The remains of sunset were still in the sky, some uh, orange lining on some wispy clouds. And uh, we were walking through our neighborhood to a local bar when I noticed something up 
in the sky right behind us about 30 or 40 feet up and I turned around and thought in my head I thought that's a drone so I was gonna say look at that drone but I turned around and said look at that and stopped I just stammered because I couldn't explain what I was looking at uh, it was not a drone there was no propellers no sound it was maybe about four feet square sort of roundy edges uh, uh, rough I, I, there was no way I could define the shape but it seemed sort of pillow shaped and it was black just radiant black it had four or five little red lights moving around in the black blackness and I tried to focus on on an edge or a rivet or any detail and I, I it defied my attempts to define it it was like looking into a light just just radiant beams coming out uh, no and, and, and movement you know it, there was nothing was still nothing was solid seeming about it it just looked like black light not not a purple light you see you know you know black light is in in, in like a, a party store it's kind of like a purpley color this was just jet black um, so it started it was initially just still just hovering but it's almost like it noticed us looking at it and we were just staring just like jaws dropped staring at this thing in the sky and it started to rotate or flip-flop kind of like one end went up slowly and then it rocked back and the other end went up and then it rocked back and just the other end went, went, end went up until it went in a complete circle and then it just was flip-flopping and fluttering it was really weird and this is when I noticed I caught a profile view of it and it was paper thin just completely insignificantly thin just like not a ship this can i was thinking this cannot be a ship this, this is a and clearly not a not a drone but it it just didn't seem to have any substance or body to it uh let me see it's like i want to make sure i get all the details it it started also moving in a straight line south just slowly accelerating away from us while while keeping this like fluttering flip-flopping sort of pattern uh looking like say an ash rising out of a fire like a weightless ash turns and 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 twists but it it never fell it never lost any altitude just kept going kind of like peaceful just slowly casually flip-flopping my wife at the time, my then wife, saw something kind of different from me. She saw a diamond-shaped, a red sort of kite-shaped object that was bright as a flame, she said. And she described the same motion that I saw. So it, it, her, her impression of it was that it also was looking like a falling leaf or something like that. If I was to try to describe it with as as a known object I would say it was a deflated mylar balloon that was maybe high enough to catch some of the remaining sunlight and then got caught in a gust of wind and was like swooped away or something uh, but, the, but, but that theory is the best I could do you know if it was caught up in some sunlight and a mylar would reflect light down on us 
but it doesn't reflect it doesn't uh, explain how we could have both seen different things different shapes uh, there was no wind that day it was calm summer dusk the trees were still it was hovering at first and then accelerated uh, constant acceleration to the point of extreme speed and I you know a gust of wind is, is not that controlled it, it's it usually would just you would see a, a difference in, in acceleration and, and, and then you would also see it you know if it was something that was paper thin and was fluttering in wind it would kind of ruffle really quick you know if a, if a gust of wind caught it but but it this one this thing stayed completely graceful and controlled throughout this entire acceleration process it zoomed just far south over the over the treetops over the over the rooftops until we just couldn't see it anymore so i felt like kind of robbed of my special experience <laughs> i was like come back and the uh the, initially it had been hovering over this house you know we walked kind of almost under it and over the sidewalk but it was over this house or over the yard of this house i'm not sure which um i wonder the, to this day if the if it had been interacting with the people in that house in some way if it was something paranormal and i kind of wish to this day that i had gone and knocked on their door and said hey uh, did is everything okay here? Did you see anything weird? <laughs> Which is, no one wants some tall guy coming knocking on their door and asking them weird questions, but this was Portland, so there might have been, it might have been allowable. <laughs> so that's my story. Uh, my then wife is a true skeptic. She does not believe in UFOs, has no patience for it. And she would even get agitated every time I would bring this up to try to discuss it. You know, she's the only person I could discuss it with, but she just, uh, I think that it, it somehow hurt her to talk about it <laughs> because she couldn't explain it and that that bothered her. But she did admit that the one thing that really uh, seemed most peculiar and, and telling that this was not anything recognizable as a genuine UFO was, was the acceleration, the, the speed to which it accelerated. It, it, it was going super fast. It didn't do that uh, shoot off like a streak of light thing uh, that you might imagine in a cartoon or something but it went super fast so to the point where i initially was actually asking my mind if it was shrinking or leaving us because because <laughs> i could not imagine how how it could have gone that fast uh so that's my story and uh i'll treasure it it's it was an amazing experience and i hope uh listening to this show that i might hear from other callers who might have seen this kind of ufo too uh, anything like this sort of like falling leaf kind of pattern or I mean uh, characteristic behavior thank you very much again for Monsters Among Us it's a wonderful show and I can't wait to listen to all the rest of them alright thanks Derek bye bye thank you Robert now drugs of any kind certainly cast a shadow on even anecdotal evidence and it certainly doesn't take away from the entertainment value for the story but it certainly makes us question what the experiencers actually did experience. Now, I was thinking the same thing that Robert was thinking, Mylar. But I had a bit of a spin on my Mylar theory. What if someone made a Mylar kite? Now, this, combined with varied eyesight, can explain how two separate people could see two separate things at the same time. A difference in five or six feet could change the perspective as well causing the item in the sky to look a bit different, depending on where you're standing looking at it. But that begs the question, why would someone fly a Mylar kite 
at night. What's the point? Was there some sort of scientific experiment going on? Was it uh, somebody trying to fool other people into thinking that they were seeing an alien craft? Or, and this is the exciting part, was this some sort of unidentified flying object? Perhaps a top-secret military craft, or even more interesting, something not of this Earth. I'd be very curious to see if anyone out there listening has seen or heard of anything similar to this, a paper-thin UFO shape. Thank you again, Robert, for taking the time to share this call with us. Hopefully, with a couple more examples, we may be able to get to the bottom of this little mystery. Thanks again, Robert, for taking the time to share from so far off. Next up, we explore a Ouija board story. The following is Ray's encounter. Hey, Derek. Uh, This is Ray calling again with a story that's not mine, but it's from my mom when she was younger. So she has five siblings, so a big family, um, and she was the youngest, or she is the youngest. And so they grew up in a good old-fashioned Irish Catholic family. So a lot of the things were that they did kind of were rebellious. So one thing that my uh, three aunts did one day, or a few times, I think, was play with a Ouija board. This was in like the 70s, uh, maybe 80s, to where I, I, don't, I don't think that people understood what they were messing with. They, didn't, they just knew it as a um, kind of a fun game, and they just kind of played with it. So um, I don't believe they really found anything, said anything, but they still played with it. So, the house they lived that was haunted, it, they kind of had weird things happening. I'll call later with that other story, but they were kind of messing around in their rooms, which was in the attic at that point. They had, it was a one um, long attic with two bedrooms. And so, they were playing with the Ouija board, and like a few, like a day or two later, um, my uncle, who, actually my mom's uncle, was, was a prankster. And so they heard someone coming up the stairs, like in a hurry, just kind of trying to get up somewhere to scare them. And so they're getting ready to be scared or to act scared. And all of a sudden they heard uh, on one of the landings just a big fall, like someone fell down. And they're kind of looking at each other and they finally decided to go run to make sure that he was okay um, and make sure that it wasn't, it wasn't anything serious. So they ran over. They looked on the landing, and there was nobody there. So they're like, okay, well, this was... So they ran downstairs to say, we got you. Why, why were you trying to mess with us? And they found that they were actually technically home alone. It was uh, my two aunts and my mom. And my mom was pretty young, so she technically didn't know this. So it's, it's weird because they, the, my, my three aunts, became very, very religious to where we don't talk about ghosts. In front of them, we don't talk about anything suspicious or that kind of stuff because they of their of their viewpoints. And so finally, one day, they were talking about it, and it came up, and it just was so weird because they didn't know this, and um, it was just so crazy. And this also came up in October when my uncle, or my mom's uncle, passed away. So this came up again, kind of because he said there was prankster, and there's a few times where they thought that. He was pranking them, but it turned out that he wasn't even around. Um, and so it was just kind of one of those crazy stories that I never 
would have thought would have happened because of how my aunts are now. Because they're super religious, they wouldn't mess around with it. But, in fact, they did. Anyway, love the podcast. And, again, thanks for having Lloyd for the great group. Bye. Thank you, Ray. Ouija boards are weird. I've heard so many stories about uh, terrifying encounters that took place uh, due to the use of a Ouija board. And I'll be completely frank, I've used a Ouija board dozens, if not hundreds of times, playing around as a kid. And not one single time have I ever experienced something that I couldn't explain. So if they work, they certainly don't work for me. Now, if you're interested in how scientists theorize Ouija boards actually quote-unquote work... I encourage you to check out Season 1, Episode 8 of this show. I believe the episode is entitled Board of the Dead. Kind of a play on words there. But anyway, in that early episode, I explore the inner workings of the Ouija board and exactly what people think are going on here. Either way, these stories about Ouija board experiences certainly are entertaining, so we thank you, Ray, for sharing yours today. Now I have two great calls left to share with you guys tonight. But before I do that, I need to get a couple announcements out of the way. Follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Now, if you're searching on Facebook, don't just stop at the main page. We also have a group and a book club group. Just search Monsters Among Us and it should show up. If not, there's links everywhere. But yeah, definitely check that out. The hats are here, and I'm wearing one as we speak. As soon as I get this show posted, I'm going to take some images and put them up on the website. Hopefully have these things up and ready to go by the weekend. So make sure you pay attention to social media or, uh, you know, maybe just hit the shop up at monstersamonguspodcast.com forward slash shop. And uh, you'll see them in there hopefully by the end of the weekend. Uh, I don't see why that wouldn't happen. As I touched on in the past episode, or maybe it was the episode before, I'm running out of space. Uh, my six foot by six foot studio is jam packed with books, notes, collectibles, equipment, you name it, it's stuffed in here, and I'm running out of space. So, what I'm doing is I'm basically allocating a bit of my basement space to build a research area and a brand new state of the art studio. Now, the goal here is to not only allow me to create more content, but better content. So, I'm hoping to create a space that I can work and record. I, a bit of a paranormal safe space, if you will. So in order to get this to happen, I'm asking for donations from listeners like you. So if you've enjoyed the show and you'd like to give back, this is the perfect way to do so. And not only does it help me, but it also helps each and every listener out there, as I'll soon be able to, like I said, put out more content and better content. Now I say all that to get to this. Our amazing Crypto Den Mom, Addie Lloyd, had a great idea last week. And this is it. Basically, what we're doing is anyone that donates $40 or more between now and the end of this month uh, will be included in a commemorative plaque that's going to be posted right smack dab in the middle of the studio. Uh, so basically, it will say, you know, this studio was dedicated to the support of or something along those lines. Now, as the artist that I am, it's not going to be a normal old plaque. I'm going to come up with some amazing way to display each and every supporter's names. So, if you have already donated, so if you've already donated $40 or more since the 1st of November, you're automatically eligible for this. But if you would like to be included, all we ask is for a $40 donation, and that can be made at the website at www.monstersamonguspodcast.com and click on the donate tab. 
Like I said, every donation of $40 or more will instantly make you eligible for one of these little plaques or whatever it ends up being. And if uh, you don't want to donate that much, a dollar, two dollars, three dollars, anything is a huge help to make this show grow and to get us a space that we can actually further this podcast, help it reach its full potential. So I'll quit rambling on about that, but I just wanted to uh, mention that you have until the end of January to submit that donation. And one last bit of business here. The next episode is the season finale, Hometown Legends. And as usual, it's going to take me two weeks to compile this episode. So please be patient, and I will be back with a massive season finale episode. So please be patient with me while I compile this, and I really look forward to sharing all these awesome stories that have been submitted. Enough of all that rambling, let's get on to the good stuff. Our next call of the evening comes to us from all the way across the pond. The following is Dana's call from the UK. Hi Derek, my name's Dana, I live in the UK, I'm a Canadian. The story I'm going to tell didn't happen in either of those places. It happened while I was on a road trip with my partner. Uh, We were stopping at a friend's house in Normandy, in France. Um, So we spent a couple nights there and uh, the first full day we were there, we just did all of the tourist stuff, um, including stopping at Omaha Beach. And often when we go to a beach, I'll always bring home rocks and shells and anything that captures my interest that's on the ground while we're walking. Um, But during this visit, I decided I wouldn't take anything from the beach. Um, I should say here I'm a skeptic, but I do want to believe. And I do kind of struggle against my superstitions. Like I'm not afraid of black cats or walking under ladders, but a beach where so many horrible things happened, I thought I don't really want to bring a souvenir back from here. So we were leaving the beach um, and we were walking through a tidal pool and this shell rolled toward me and it was a really beautiful shell and looked kind of like a frog. Um, kind of looked like two shells pressed together. So I I picked it up and I tried to open it and it it didn't open. So I figured, okay, it's just like weirdly fused together. Cool looking shell, I've never seen anything like it. I'm gonna break my rule about not taking anything home from the beach. I'm gonna take this shell home. Um, I I don't really see how what happened later um, had anything to do with the shell other than I think it was on my mind that I had visited somewhere where something terrible happened and I would brought something back so it might explain a little bit what I saw later and later that night um, so yeah we had dinner uh, hung out and then um, when we went to bed uh, we were sleeping in our friend's guest room and um, we were on kind of, I think, a futon. We weren't that low to the ground. Um, maybe uh, still a couple feet off the ground. So almost like bed level, like a normal bed level, maybe a bit lower. Um, and I often sleep facing out towards the room. I sleep really close to the edge of the bed. Um, I think part of it is just I don't like being against a wall because I'm afraid of spiders. So... Um, 
I was lying uh, on the edge of the bed, um, facing out toward the room. Across from me, I'd say it's about 10 to 12 feet to the to the wall opposite me that that was kind of like the edge of the building as well um and there was kind of a wide horizontal window um that had blinds over it and they were quite heavy so there wasn't a lot of light coming into the room other than that um we had the bed against one wall the window against the one across from me and then it was a door to the living room like a sliding door to the living room um uh, towards where our feet were in the room and then a desk on the other wall so that's kind of the four walls covered um, so I've got a desk kind of near near my head like horizontally against the wall there and um, then it's just kind of open floor so I'm uh, sleeping and I wake up and just have this kind of weird feeling um, and I open my eyes and there's a man standing there. Uh, he's standing maybe about five feet away from me and he's leaning down so that his face is even with my eye level. And it's so dark, I, can, I can't really see a lot, but I can see him and I can see that he has these big light blue eyes and is just staring at me so intensely just staring not blinking just I don't know what like the feeling was just a, a really bad feeling like he was just I don't know what it was it, it wasn't like an aggressive stance but he was just the way he was staring at me was really frightening um other than that his face was very blank I felt I don't know how I saw this because it was quite dark, but I felt that he had kind of like blonde hair, kind of slicked back, very pale skin, not a lot of facial features other than these big eyes. I couldn't discern anything else. And I felt like he was wearing a soft blue v-neck sweater, which is a really strange thing to pick out in a dark room where I probably couldn't have seen much. Um, he was slim. And kind of as I registered it and realized he wasn't going away, um, as I as I stared, because sometimes I have seen things when I woke up, um, uh, which I'll uh, maybe explain a little bit after. But it's never kind of lasted like that and felt like that. So um, I screamed really loudly and kind of shot backwards against my partner who woke up, and. Um, held me and I was crying and shaking and I, I've never had my body shake like that. I was trembling so hard that at this point the man's gone. Um, I think he just disappeared uh, like as I was screaming and shot back and my partner woke up. Um, I shook, I must have shaken, like my whole body was trembling for I'd say probably at least 20 minutes after that. I've, honestly never had a feeling like that. Like I've been afraid before, I've had adrenaline before. Um, but nothing like that ever. My whole body just shook. And our friends had woken up and come out, but I was, I just didn't have the energy to even say, I'm sorry, I've just seen something. It was probably a night terror or something. I don't know, because I'm familiar with night terrors. I haven't had them often, but I'm familiar with them. Uh, thankfully, our friends had had night, one of our friends had had night terrors, so he just wrote it off as that's what it was. And after he'd kind of done a little bit of searching around the flat and went back to bed and we just talked about it in the morning. Um, so yeah, the next day we wake up, talked about it, um, 
and I tried to leave the shell at their house. I feel really bad admitting that, but I did because I was like, maybe that's why I saw this man. Uh, but they made me take it with me. I kept it. Was like, don't be silly. We we got to where our end location was, which was my partner's family in Germany. Um, I threw the shell out, and a few days later, it, w it turned into the most horrible smell I've ever smelled in my life. I think there was probably a little animal in there, like um, some kind of. I don't know, like hermit crab or some, I don't know. I still couldn't open the shell, but it was awful. Um, and I've never seen anything since. I've, I've seen things when I've woken up. I've had um, sleep paralysis. I know that this wasn't sleep paralysis. I've had uh, hallucinations where I've woken up and seen things. But I think that those were due to having, like I was on um, a sleep medication, so it, it was not un not totally uncommon to have those. And I, I wasn't on a sleep medication. I was years past being on a sleep medication at this point. There felt like there was something different about this guy. I think I must have imagined it, but it was terrifying. So I thought I would share the story. And yeah, uh, this is my first call, but I'm gonna call a couple more times and tell you some of my other stories. Thank you so much for your show. I love it. I've been binging it. Just how kind you are and respectful of all the stories that come in and how kind the rest of the community around your show seems. It's it's just yeah, it's great what you're doing. Thank you, Derek. Um, and thank you, Addy, for the work you're doing too. And uh, yeah, I'll call back again with more stories. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Dana. Now, this call reminded me of something that I remembered seeing on television some years back. The TV show was called Mysteries at the National Parks. Now, I can tell you I'm a huge National Park fan, so this was a TV show I was not going to miss. Now, the particular story that I'm talking about here took place in the state of Hawaii. But luckily for you guys, I was able to obtain a clip of that show. So the following is from Season 1, Episode 6 of that series. 1997, Florida resident Timothy Murray visits Volcanoes National Park while vacationing in Hawaii. I had always had really good fortune in life. I had uh, had good monetary uh, experiences, great jobs, good personal experiences. Murray returns home, and soon after, his life gradually begins a downward spiral. It was a wave of misfortune beyond anything that you could possibly comprehend, which eventually landed me in a federal penitentiary. Open up, FBI. The FBI arrest Murray for a white-collar crime they allege he committed. Murray's life is now at rock bottom. I started having monetary losses. Um, I was having personal problems with my girlfriend, just strange problems that we had never had before. His nightmares offer him the only clue as to what might be causing his life to implode. I was having some really strange dreams that kept me from sleeping. Polynesian warrior and, you know, uh, uh, all of his warrior garb coming right at me. And right before he got to me, I would wake up out of the dream. Murray has an alarming realization. Could these strange experiences be connected to his visit to Volcanoes National Park? When I went through Volcano National Park, kind of started collecting trinkets of, of my journey. I wanted memories. I wanted, you know, coral, and I wanted lava, and I wanted lava sand, and I wanted all these things. And I had a bottle, and I filled it up because, I mean, it was beautiful. Murray's souvenirs from Volcanoes National Park become his favorite objects. I took everything that I stole from the island, I arranged them into a big crystal bowl. So a lot of times at the end of the day, I was, you know, sitting there and just spacing out and looking down into the crystal bowl with all these things that I had taken. 
he remembers a conversation he had with a cab driver in Hawaii about what happens to those who remove natural objects from Volcanoes National Park. I was explaining to him my adventures of going all over the island and uh, uh, collecting things, and he told me, you know, he explained to me, you know, Tim, the, the uh, sand and the rocks and the shells, those are all part of the land here that's part of the island, and you're not supposed to take that stuff with you. At the time, Murray laughed it off, but now he wonders whether his collection has somehow cursed him. And put all of the rock and sand and shells and boxed everything up. And then the next day, I went down to the post office and sent it back. You know, I know it may sound a little bizarre, and it might have just been a placebo effect or whatever, but boy, uh, uh, from that night forward, things started to get a little bit better. Per usual, you can find a link to the full episode in the show notes for tonight's episode. Thank you again, Dana, for sharing that with us. And that brings us to our final call of the evening. I've been sitting on this one for a little while now, mostly because I'm in love with it and wanted to find the perfect time to share it. Something about today just made it feel right. So the following call is Josh's from the state of Colorado. Hey, uh, this is uh, Josh, and uh, I live in Colorado, and I've got an interesting story um, that my dad actually told me. And, you know, th- th- this event that happened to my dad happened probably maybe back in 2005. Um, so I was, I was a young kid at the time, and I remember that, that that's why this story stuck with me. Um, but, you know, my, my, my dad, you know, likes to think he's a good guy, when he does, like back in the day too, he would, and he would do this without anybody else in the car. So he, you know, he's taking uh, risks into his, in his own hands. But, you know, oftentimes he would pick up hitchhikers. And, and most of the time it would be during the day. And this is in the wintertime. There's a, a, a fair amount of skiers that need a ride back up. They, they do backcountry skiing. They need a, a ride back up to the top of the mountain. So, he, he, you know, he'd pick up hitchhikers that, and, and, you know, pick up the skiers and stuff. But, uh, one evening in particular, and this is uh, this was probably uh, I don't know maybe April, uh, maybe May, uh, and again, like I said, uh, and, and actually this time frame, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the time of night, it was like uh, real late. He was he was heading back, but we have a cabin in Grand Lake. He was heading back to uh, the Longmont from the cabin, and uh, so yeah, I think he said it was pretty late, maybe nine or ten uh, or eleven, but this was a in the torrential downpour, like rain that you, you that we we don't get a lot of rain like this, uh, but this is crazy rain. Anyway, so he's he's going up a, a part of Colorado uh, called Berthoud Pass, and you know it's it's a uh, you know the winding peaks, and he, he, for for those familiar with it, it's a mountain road, and uh, he you know he sees this guy in full like. You know, fur trapper uh, regalia. I mean, coonskin cap, uh, real thick fur coat. Um, you know, just, like I said, just like something out of a, you know, out of a frontier uh, town uh, type of thing. Like, you know, again, a, a fur trapper or something. And, he, you know, he, he didn't really think much of it at the time. He thought maybe this guy might have just been... You know, some sort of mountain man enthusiast or something. But uh, 
you know, so he stops the car and he's like, you know, it's pouring down rain. This poor guy's, you know, obviously got to get somewhere. And he goes, hey, you want to ride? And the guy, you know, right away kind of could tell something was, was off. Uh, not in a dangerous way, but the guy didn't really talk too much. He said, yeah, 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 just take me up to the top. That's fine. And so he gets in the car. And the first thing my dad notices is this guy has no rain on him at all. He's completely dry. I mean, and this is torrential downpour, you know. So I, you know, he's trying to figure maybe, maybe, you know, the the pelt. Maybe it's beaver pelt. Something you know repels water. Um, didn't really know. Didn't really care all that much at the time, as he's as he's driving this guy, trying to make small talk. I didn't talk. Uh, you know, he's he's just you know kind of nodding his head. Yeah, this you know kind of short. Yes, no answers. And so, you know, my dad's like, okay, well, I didn't really want to talk, so we'll just kind of keep it quiet going up the up the mountain. And uh, gets to the top, and the guy gets out, and it's like one of those movie scenes where they just kind of disappear into the rain. I mean, obviously, there's, there's low visibility. This guy didn't just disappear, didn't, like, you know, evaporate, but it just looked like he went walking into, you know, into the rain and it just disappeared, like, into the night. And it's, you know, again, this is a... Uh, kind of a, a ski hill on the very top of this this uh, mountain, but you know this mace. So there's really nothing up there. There's a couple cars. People will 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 do overnight camping and stuff. And so you know, like I said, he, he thought maybe this guy was was just you know doing some camping or something. But you know, why would he be trying to hitchhike up? It was a weird situation. And uh, and and he went down. It was curious. He went down, to, you know, and, and put his hand on the seat where this guy was sitting. It was completely dry. I mean, this thing was, and again, again, torrential downpour. So, you know, to this day, my dad doesn't really know. He's not a big believer in paranormal, but it was a weird story. And that's why it stuck with me as a kid. Because I was like, ooh, ghostly hitchhiker. That's pretty cool. Um, it's just, it was weird. It's, a, you know, that high strangeness stuff. And it just, you know, my dad kind of felt like something was off. But anyway, that's my story. Thank you, Josh. I love this story. There's something, I guess, romantic about the thought of time travel, I suppose. Not be it the spectral or spiritual, but that's basically what we're looking at. If this is, in fact, somebody from a bygone era, that's exactly what he did. He time-traveled. Now, how would he know what a car is? How would he know what hitchhiking is? How would he know what roads are? Now, granted, they had roads and buggies and stuff back in the day, but none of them look similar to what they look like now. I just think back to that scene in Hocus Pocus, where Winifred Sanderson pushed her sister into the road, thinking it was a river of death. Now, as far as hitchhiking ghost stories are concerned, this may be one of the craziest ones I've ever heard. Uh, Most are uh, young women that were taken too soon, coming back from a dance or a social event. Typically, these end with Uh, A visit to the mother a few days later saying, oh, I dropped your daughter off at your house and she forgot this or I wanted to do that. At which point the mother informs them that the daughter has been dead for 10 years. Now this one has a bit of a different flavor to it and that's what I like about it. Now as far as logical explanations are concerned, I only really have one. Is there a chance that this man was a reenactor of some sort? Was there a powwow or something atop the mountain he was trying to make his way to? Could he have been some sort of cosplayer? But that begs the question, why would he be standing in the rain, and why would he have to be hitchhiking? Either way, the story is downright fascinating, and I truly appreciate you, Josh, for taking the time to share it. 
thank you again. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Eddie Lloyd, Tony Bell, and Warren Pawnhabit. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. Music for this episode was provided by Mayu and Coag Music. Thank you all for listening, and I'll see you in two weeks. Oh, hello there. I didn't see you. Thank you for sticking around to the end of the show. I have a little treat for you. The following written submission was provided by Reginald from Parts Unknown. Hello. About six days ago on April 9th, I began to hear a sort of whooping sound coming from the hill near my home in the middle of the night. The first time I heard it, I thought nothing of it, honestly. But it seemed to keep happening every day around 8 p.m., and up until the night of April 14th. That night I decided to go out on my porch and see if I can hear the whooping again. However, all was silent. All I could hear was a splash of rain as it hit the roof of the porch. A bit disappointed, I sat down in a rocking chair and decided I was content with just hearing the rain. After about 30 or 40 minutes, around 9.30pm, I heard one loud whoop that differed in tone, going from low to high. This whoop made me jump from my chair. I looked up the hill trying to see what made the whooping sounds, and as I stared up on the hill I noticed something pure white moving in front of a tree. I ran back inside to get my flashlight. When I got back outside I pointed it up on the hill hoping to get a clear view of the animal, though when I shined my light up in the hill and through the tree line I saw nothing. Then I heard something moving near the other side of my porch, and when I pointed my light toward the sound I saw something I will never, ever forget. When I pointed the light at it, the creature twisted around as if I had scared it. It stood about nine feet tall and had two black eyes and an oval-shaped head with a long neck attached to a large, fat body and had two really long arms. I'm not sure if anyone else has seen something like this, and honestly, I kind of hope that I'm the only one. Thank you, Reginald. Well, thank you, Reginald. And in fact, you are not the only one. I know there are several uh, white or gray Sasquatch sightings that have been reported over the past at least 10 years, and a majority of these calls seem to come from the Midwest region, Ohio, Indiana, Kentucky, and Pennsylvania. And in fact, there is one Pennsylvania video that seems to show uh, exactly what Reginald described, a white Sasquatch-shaped creature with piercing black eyes. I will post a link to that video so you can check out exactly what I'm talking about. Either way, these white Bigfoot encounters are rare, but are not unheard of, so that certainly lends some clout to Reginald's story. 
Thank you again, Reginald, for sharing that call, and thank you for sticking around to the end of the show. Have a good night. It all starts with an invitation to experience Lexus. To start the ignition. To feel confident. To be connected to everything. It starts as an invitation to drive a Lexus vehicle. But it becomes a dynamic experience. The Invitation to Lexus sales event. Your invitation is always open. But the offers only last through March 31st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Click the banner to discover more.